Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to this podcast, why didn't Derek ask this question? Or why didn't he ask that question? I know I certainly have. Well, you get the chance to do that if you sign up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You get the chance to ask guests of the show a question. If you're a fan of the top five list, you get the chance to vote on what the topic will be. You also get early access to episodes, accessibility to my film scripts, and so much more. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And we want to thank our Patreon, Tim Spivey. Thank you so much for your continued contributions to the podcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we're already in the month of May. I can't believe it this year. A third of it's already over. It seems like yesterday we were closing out 2020 on this show with uh, the Empire Strikes Back Roundtable, which uh, I kind of went back and listened to it a little bit uh, this past week being May 4th, which a lot of people know is... Uh, the official Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you. This is the May, whatever you want to call it these days. Uh, so it was fun going back and kind of dabbling into all the Star Wars shows that I've done throughout the years. But uh, yeah, crazy to think that a third of this year is already over. And uh, before we really get into the show, I did want to give a little bit of a uh, programming note. Uh, that being, those who have been with the show long term know that my schedule gets a little crazy during the summer because of my day job. And for those who might be new to the show, my day job, I work for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, which is a minor league baseball team we have here in Pensacola. And you know, we didn't play uh, minor league baseball last year due to COVID-19, but baseball is back for minor leagues this year. Um, as I'm recording this, uh, the Blue Wahoos have... Uh, played their first game, which was on the road in Mississippi, but will be returning home Tuesday, May 11th, in which I will have to work you know, a series of games that are during that particular week and are sprinkled uh, throughout the next few months. So doing the show is going to be a little bit more challenging. I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do with it yet. I don't know if I'm going to try to still do new shows. I may go on hiatus again. I'm not entirely sure. I will be completely honest, but I will keep everyone in the loop as far as what I do with that. But a decision of that on that won't be made until uh, probably by the end of the month. But uh, some lighter things to talk about on the show. A little bit later on, I'll be chatting with filmmaker Eileen Sheedy, about her film, The Legend of Stella, which was accepted into the Pensacon Short Film Festival. It is Pensacon month here on the podcast, so I'll be chatting with a couple of other filmmakers who have work in the Pensacon Short Film Festival, and also a very special Pensacon-related interview that will happen on next week's show. And it's interesting because uh, talking about The Legend of Stella, to give you a little bit of background on it, uh, the story is it deals with a married couple who are having issues because the husband is playing too many video games and his wife is not very happy with that. And it kind of got me thinking about 
movies that have ties to video games or specifically video game adaptations. And it all kind of works out because of the new Mortal Kombat movie that came out a few weeks ago in theaters and on HBO Max. And I didn't get to see it right when it came out, but I did have the chance to watch it um, this past week. And surprisingly, I actually very much enjoyed it. I know some people didn't like it due to, you know, they thought the acting may not have been great. The dialogue was awful. Story wasn't that great, but I've said this before on the show, but when I look at movies like a Mortal Kombat, I'm not really looking for a heavy story. Yeah, the storyline has to be there, but that's not really my primary focus going in. I'm going in because I grew up playing video games as a kid. I like Mortal Kombat. I like several of the characters. So I was curious as to what they did with it, because I remember the Mortal Kombat movie from 95 and being in love with that because you're seeing it as a kid, you're just blown away by you know what at the time was you know great fighting, visual effects, and all that fun stuff. It was just it was eye candy for kids of my generation, so it did its job, and that movie holds a special place to me. So I, I was excited yet cautious when it came to this new film, but I enjoyed it. I think. For the most part, the cast did a good job of portraying all the characters. There were a couple of things that I didn't like about it. Um, several people didn't like the fact that the film was centered around an original character named Cole Young, and he was kind of your typical, you know, fish out of water and kind of thrust into this larger world type of scenario. In a way, I felt like he represented the audience. He was the audience's representative and bet that being he was kind of along for the ride with all these characters like Sub-Zero, uh, Liu Kang, Raiden, you know, all the iconic Mortal Kombat characters that we all know. That being said, I thought the fight scenes were awesome. I loved the fact that they were so brutal. It reminded me of kills from the video games. With some of the dialogue on the nose a little bit when they would mention you know, a fatality or a flawless victory, which was mentioned in the games, but we all knew that had to happen. I mean, video games, video game adaptations to me are not really going to be your typical Oscar winning cinema. And to be honest, video game films have in a way been a very poorly received subgenre of film since really the Mario Brothers movie came out in the early 90s. And I will be one that is guilty of saying I liked that movie when I was a kid. I loved Nintendo. I still do. But I was a Nintendo fanatic as a kid. So, of course, when a Mario Brothers movie is announced, of course, I'm going to be a fan of it. You know, I had to see it. I had a little bit of merchandise to go along with it. I remember having the movie on an audio cassette tape where a narrator would read what was happening, like, you know, would read a description of what was going on. And then they would have, um, I can't remember if it was the actual cast who participated in it, but you'd had actors playing Mario and Luigi and princess Daisy and the other characters that were in it. So I remember listening to that a lot when I was a kid and as a kid, I liked the movie, and of course, when I got older and saw it, I realized how 
much of an abomination it was. And it really, it turned, to me, it turned a lot of filmmakers off with wanting to make video game adaptations. Because if you think about it, there really haven't been that many good ones. And recently we've had, and I put this new Mortal Kombat in that category as well, but you look at Sonic the Hedgehog and you look at Detective Pikachu as movies, and those are more family friendly, but I think they do enough service to the characters that I would count them as good adaptations. I've heard some people say they didn't particularly like Detective Pikachu because of the storyline. And there were things I liked about it, but at the same time, looking back on it, I wish they would have adapted the original game. I wish they would have adapted Red and Blue. But that's neither here nor there. Overall, I still like the story. And of course, I've talked about how much I love the Sonic movie. Other than Soul, it was my favorite movie of 2020. And I have to give a shout out to our patron, Mr. Tim Spivey, who his sentiments echo mine 100%. He wrote me a pretty detailed Facebook message earlier today and said that, you know, he saw Mario Brothers in theaters when he was a kid and he loved it because he got to see Mario and Luigi on the big screen, but he didn't realize how bad it was until he watched it when he was older. And I agree with him also in the sense that I don't think video games video game adaptations, I should say, will be looked at as technical masterpieces when it comes to film. I think what it's going to take is that a very well-established director is going to have to take a chance on some video game project. I don't know what that will be, but then it has to be a good movie. It has to have great acting. It's got to have good story. And it's got to make fans, casual and hardcore, happy when it comes to whatever that video game is. And I've said for years that all we need is one. We need one good video game movie to break the doors down and hopefully we'll get more. You know, I, I enjoyed Detective Pikachu. I enjoyed Sonic. I think those were two good starts. But I think we need one that is very well received from casual audiences as well. I would love to see so many games adapted into film because there's so many great stories in video games. You know, I know Uncharted uh, is in the works. It's supposed to come out next year. I wish they would have done a more faithful adaptation. I don't know what the story is going to be, but I wish that after watching that fan film, I would have cast Nathan Fillion as Nathan Drake in a heartbeat. I'd love to see, you know, potentially an L.A. noir movie, one of Rockstar's best games. But of course, the holy grail to me is a Legend of Zelda movie or a Legend of Zelda series. That would just, the announcement of that and seeing the first trailer would probably tear me up a little bit. I would tear up if that were to happen. But I'm here to mostly talk about your guys' list because this kind of became an unofficial top five. You know, I was thinking I'll list off a couple of my favorites and a couple of my least favorite uh, video game films. But you guys sent in your list, and I love it. I can't wait for uh, you guys to hear all the lists that were sent for this and some comments as well. And I'll go through mine really quick. Um, my top five uh, favorite video game adaptations. Number five, Street Fighter. 
Um, I saw this once when I was younger and then recently saw it again when we did a commentary track for Nerd Cave Retro. Street Fighter is not a good movie, but it's so bad, it's good. Like, it's the good kind of bad, if that makes sense. My number four would be the 95 Mortal Kombat. I mentioned that before. It's got a soft spot in my heart. Um, still enjoy going back and watching it to this day. Number three is Detective Pikachu. It was great seeing Pokemon characters come to life and seeing Pikachu and Blastoise and Charizard and other Pokemon that you know I grew up loving as a kid on the screen and in a live action environment it was really kind of surreal for me. My number two is the new Mortal Kombat, the 2021 version. I The story, yeah, is it the greatest? No, but I think it suited its purpose perfectly. And my number one, to no surprise, is Sonic the Hedgehog. There's really not too much that I dislike about that movie. I thought they captured the uh, character of Sonic perfectly. I thought Jim Carrey was an excellent Dr. Robotnik. I'm excited to see what they do with the sequel, with bringing in Tails, um, having Robotnik be more like his video game counterpart with the big mustache and the bald head. And supposedly Knuckles is going to be in the film too. And if you follow the set and the production of that film, then you pretty much know that's going to be the case. My bottom five, uh, obviously Super Mario Brothers would be on there. It's I go back at it and laugh at some points, but at the same time, it's it's just not a good movie. I would put both the original Tomb Raiders starring Angelina Jolie. Those movies really did nothing for me. Doom, I love the first person perspective and sequence that they did to kind of capture the look and feel of the game. But other than that, that movie was atrocious. It Oh, it was awful. But, but number one has to be Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Uh, those who are in the know, you know. And if you've never seen it, don't watch it. It's X number of hours in your life. It's like an hour and change in your life that you will never get back. Just trust me on that. Uh, Christian Jones said, Super Mario Brothers is a national treasure and should be remembered as such. It's definitely remembered as something. I don't know if it's a national treasure, but it's definitely remembered as something. Drew Garcia, I may catch flack for this, but the Angelina Jolie smash hit Tomb Raider is one of my favorite video game-based movies. Great casting, great action, weird plot, but it's fairly linear, and Angelina Jolie running around with guns. What more could you ask for? Like I said, those movies really did nothing for me. I did like the new Tomb Raider that came out, I believe it was in 2018. Uh, I'd love to see a sequel to that. I mean, the story was very safe and very predictable, but I thought it was pretty good. So I wouldn't mind seeing more of it. Uh, Wade Vatican, his best are Mortal Kombat 95, Sonic the Hedgehog, Street Fighter, which was the final film of Raw Julia before his death. And his worst are Super Mario Brothers, Double Dragon. I forgot to mention Double Dragon. That would probably be my number two, uh, right beneath Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Double Dragon, we did a commentary for that on Nerd Cave Retro 2, and boy, was it terrible. Uh, oh, and, and Doom is on his list as well. 
Carlos Longoria, his uh, best, number five, Sonic the Hedgehog from 96. Number four, Dante's Inferno. Number three, Street Fighter II, the animated movie. I've actually never seen that. Number two, Mortal Kombat 2021. And his number one is Sonic the Hedgehog. Great choice. His worst, number five is Doom. Four, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Three is Tekken. Two, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. And number one is Double Dragon. On honorable mentions, uh, Street Fighter 94. Most of the Resident Evil animated movies were decent. And also, if Castlevania was a really long movie and not a series, it would be number one. I will say that if you've never watched the Castlevania anime on, I believe it's on Netflix, it's very good. And I didn't grow up with the Castlevania games. So I went in with not too much knowledge on that universe, but I actually really enjoyed it. So I'd recommend you check it out. Uh, Tim Spivey, who I mentioned earlier, his uh, top five uh, is number five, Mario Brothers, which he says is a sentimental pick. Number four, Hitman came out in 2007. Number three, Assassin's Creed. Two, Mortal Kombat 2021. And number one, Mortal Kombat 95. His bottom five, number five, Tomb Raider. Four is Doom. Three, Max Payne. I've never seen that one. Number two, Street Fighter. And his number one, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And Mr. Brandon Rutledge, his favorites. Honorable mentions are Resident Evil Apocalypse, Resident Evil Extinction, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, and Pokemon the First Movie. And a lot of people forget about the animated films, but yeah, Pokemon, the first movie is definitely up there too. Number five, Rampage. Number four, Street Fighter II, the animated movie. Number three, Sonic the Hedgehog. Two, Mortal Kombat 95, and he notes he hasn't seen 2021 yet. And number one is Street Fighter. His least favorite, dishonorable mentions, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, uh, Alone in the Dark, and DOA Dead or Alive. Number five, The Angry Birds movie. Four, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Number three, House of the Dead. Two, Double Dragon. And number one, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. So, good list by everyone. Uh, that was, I was not expecting that well of a turnout for uh, video game adaptations, and it, it's it's a good topic to to really discuss, especially with you know friends who like video games, because a lot of people, even though they may not admit it, they grew up playing some type of video game, especially if you grew up in the '80s and '90s and the heyday of Nintendo. You played the NES, you played the Super Nintendo, or in some cases, you might have played the Sega Genesis. Who knows? I mean, everybody, I think, has dabbled into the video game world at some point. Um, let's see. I believe, yeah, I believe that's everybody's list. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't miss anybody. So thank you guys for everyone who submitted your list and contributed to the conversation. But coming up next is my conversation with filmmaker Eileen Sheedy, as I mentioned at the top of the show her film, The Legend of Stella, kind of inspired this conversation and also her film uh, got accepted into the Pensacon 
short film festival. So hopefully you guys enjoy hearing it as much as I had conducting it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Eileen Sheedy. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast and Pensacon Month continues here on the show with filmmaker Eileen Sheedy. Eileen, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Uh, thanks for taking the time to to chat with me about this film that, you know, the, fir the first time I watched it, I geeked out over the premise of it. So I'm really excited to talk about it. The, the Legend of Stella. And um, first of all, congratulations on it being accepted into the uh, Pensacon Short Film Festival. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting when we found out because it's sort of been this whole, you know, this whole year of COVID and everybody, you know, trying to figure out what festivals they're going to do and stuff. And so um, it was really exciting to have that moment where we got in. Yeah, it's been very interesting because, you know, I, I made my first short a couple of years ago and it recently finished its festival run. And the last several that I had submitted it to that it had been accepted for but then they were pushed back or canceled entirely due to due to COVID. Some did virtual screenings, which, you know, it's not bad, but it, it doesn't replicate the feeling of actually going to a festival and seeing your film on the big screen and networking with other filmmakers. Yeah, th those feelings just can't be they can't be replicated. Yeah, totally. We were super lucky that the first festival we got into, we premiered was a local festival and it was right before COVID. It was like February 2020. So we got to have our big old, you know, cast and crew screening and get everybody together. And and then after that, it's all been virtual. So, yeah, it's that's crazy because that was literally weeks away from the world changing. It was the same thing with Pensacon last year. It was at the end of February, end of the beginning of March. Mm -hmm. And a, a week or so after was when things started to shut down. So it's just crazy how stuff like that just barely got in. And you think just a short time later, it was all gone. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, talk to me a little bit about before we get into the film, uh, what was it that initially made you want to pursue a career as a filmmaker? Oh, man, <laughs> that's kind of a long question, I guess, because I didn't I mean, when I was a kid, I loved movies and TV shows and I wrote a lot of fan fiction. And like that was my world was sort of having these characters um, that I loved, but I never really thought that I could do it as a career because um, it's really it's daunting. And especially the time, you know, that was the nineties, early two thousands, there wasn't a lot of low budget filmmaking and Hollywood stuff was still kind of, you know, very much kept under wraps. I felt like, um, and so I, I never really considered I could do it, um, as a career or even really as a hobby, um, until I was in college. Um, and I was studying engineering actually, but um, I had wanted to take some music classes and video classes and stuff because I'd always um, enjoyed photography and being creative and stuff like that. So I was taking this video class and I really enjoyed it. Um, and so I started taking more video classes and <laughs> it sort of spiraled from there. I, you know, I fell in love with it and was making these short films. And after I graduated from school, I was working as a software engineer for a little while, um, but I was realizing 
that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so I quit my job um, and had a friend that we had started um, doing some film projects together because she had studied theater. And um, so we were doing some just hobby projects together. And she also quit her job at the same time I was quitting my job. And we were like, well, you know what? Let's start a production company because we don't really know what we're doing, but I bet we can figure it out. <laughs> and so we started doing some little promos and acting reels for people and things like that. And um, eventually ended up working on local productions and getting in touch with Portland crew and the film scene here and stuff. And so, yeah, it was a long journey. That's fantastic though. Like that's actually not too dissimilar from how I discovered it too. Cause like you, I was a fan of movies and shows when I was a kid and into high school and in college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I found out that you know, the community college I went to had a video broadcasting program. And when I took my first class, you know, I fell in love with it and wanted mm -hmm. to do more. So it's, it's one of those things that people have so many different avenues or ways that they got into wanting to be a filmmaker. But a lot of what they have in common is that once they're, I like to say, bitten by the bug of filmmaking, it's like you don't want to do anything else. It's, it's almost like a drug in a way and yep. it's like nothing else can make you happier or give you that kind of creative satisfaction than making films yeah totally yeah so uh once you started doing that um was there a specific aspect of filmmaking that appealed to you whether it's you know directing writing what was it that kind of drew you into filmmaking and do you have a preference on on what you like to do when it comes to film I love directing. Um, I don't get a chance to do it that often. I work mainly as an AD um, right now and kind of on the production department side of things when I'm not doing my own projects because it's expensive, you know? <laughs> Making movies is expensive. Um, and so, um, but I do love directing. I honestly, I think that's my favorite part of it. I love working with actors. Um, I love that whole process. And I like writing as well, but for me, in terms of, writing a film then becomes about directing the film. <laughs> I don't know if I would really be able to ever let anybody else direct something that I wrote. Um, cause the things that I write are, are, I feel like they're my stories. And so I want to be able to continue following that story throughout the whole production process. So, <laughs> um, the two are kind of, they're, they're linked for me. Um, well, and that's, that's a great point because as I've discovered more indie film over the last several years, I find that to be more common is someone who happens to write the story also directs it, which makes sense because if you write the story, you want it carried out the way that you want it. I mean, yeah, you can hand it off to someone else, but there's nothing quite like taking a story that you've conceived from start to finish and then as you mentioned working with the actors and working with you know the performances and the little nuances that they come with as as a director is there's nothing quite like it yeah that moment in the casting when you see somebody perform you know the script and it is like perfect it's exactly the way you imagined it like that moment for me is everything <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I remember when I did the when I decided on the cast for for my short and we did our first rehearsal. And what I love about working with actors is that they can add little details or little quirks to the characters that you may not have envisioned otherwise. And it's when those moments happen that on one hand, it can be really rewarding and you just think, oh, great, because it shows that the actor is into the role and they want to do the best they can. But then there's a little bit on the creative side where you're like, man, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what directing mostly is, though. You know, you're hiring all these people, actors and production designers and, you know, cinematographers, people that are way better than you at their jobs. And then you get to just let them do their jobs. You know, you let you get to let them be creative and take all their best ideas and turn that into one singular project. Like, I love that. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about collaborating with film is that you learn by doing and watching other people. Cause what I recommend to people that, you know, if they're kind of on the fence about being a filmmaker, go on a set and it's even work as a PA because you can really stand there and watch the director work with actors. You can watch the DP set up the camera and really kind of get a feel for visually how they see the film. Even, you know, with, with grips, you know, that, that's super important, setting up lights and setting up props and everything. It's, it's a great way to, to learn. And that's a great thing about film. And my personal favorite thing about film is the collaboration and watching everyone come together to, to make a project happen. Because I've often used this phrase before, it takes a village to make a film. It's not just one person that makes it happen. It's, it's a true community of people. And do you feel the same way? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's not a single project that I've made, even when I was just making student films, like, and it was just me and my camera, like doing stuff. There's still so many people that influenced everything. And I mean, I guess maybe I could have done it by myself, but it wouldn't have been as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's great to, I won't say employ, but recruit people who maybe have done it longer than you or might be better than you at something. Because as I mentioned, that's a way to learn. You know, when I did my short film, I was a director, but I was probably the least experienced person on set because it was only the third set I'd ever been on. So it's, it's a, it's a great way to learn and, and classes are great, but just being out in the field and doing it, you can't replicate that. Yeah, totally. I have a hard time trusting a director or a producer that's never PA'd on a set before <laughs> or that's never been on a set other than their own. Cause I think you just, you learn so much from watching other people work. Yeah. And it's, it's great too, to, you know, just even help others out. Like even if you're just a grip, you know, that, that director will remember you and chances are, if you ask them for help, they'll return the favor. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Especially here in Portland. It's a, it's a very small film community. Everybody sort of helps each other out and I'm sure it's the same in other places too, but maybe, you know, when you get to bigger places like LA or New York, it's a little bit different, but definitely here in Portland, it's a lot of work is built on favors <laughs> and reciprocating favors for people. And, you know, that's how you make friends and that's how you, you work on a variety of projects. Like there's so many things that I don't ever want to direct, but I would, love to help someone else make them um a tons of projects that i've worked on are just you know amazing stories that 
I would never have the capacity to, to, to tell myself as a director or a writer, but um, I'm so glad that I was able to put in the little bit that I did to help them get made. Well, that's the great thing about indie film and especially local indie films, because what you say about Portland is kind of how I feel about here in Pensacola is that we, we have a very tightly knit film community where like oftentimes you'll see groups of people working on each other's projects and you just see like the director name is different, but you'll look at the cast and crew and it's all very similar. And that's because everyone's helping each other out. And it's, it's like the old pay it forward type of mentality. Yeah, totally. So talk to me about the legend of Stella, because as I mentioned, you know, I growing up, I was a huge legend of Zelda fan and I still am to this day. So when I saw just the legend of that's all I had to see, to be sucked into this movie because I, I was and I read the the storyline of it and what the plot was and I thought it was was very intriguing to say the least so what what was it that attracted you to this project and made you want to get involved with it um well it started with the script um so the script was written by my friend uh Marin Curtis who I we're no longer in a screenwriting group because she moved unfortunately but we were in a screenwriting group for years and years um, and so this was sort of, this was a short version of a feature that she had been working on, um, that was sort of inspired by something that her brother had gone through. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, it's not quite as extreme, um, as what happens in this film, but he was playing a lot of video games and his wife wasn't super happy about it was basically the gist of it. <laughs> and so, um, she had written this script sort of exploring that idea of, you know, what would you do if your husband was really, you know, couldn't stop gaming and it's really starting to affect your relationship. Um, and I love that, that core of it, that, you know, it's kind of a silly film. It's got action sequences and it's got weird costumes and, but at the core of it is it's a love story. It's about, you know, wanting to be recognized for your contributions and, you know, wanting to connect. And um, that's, the part of making films that I love is sort of the, the human connection. Um, and so I love that part of the script. And then also just, I mean, it's fun. It's a really fun script. <laughs> and it was so different from anything else I'd worked on at the time too. Um, I really wanted to kind of push my boundaries a little bit. And um, especially with things like the action sequences, I'd never done that. Um, the crew was probably about twice as big as any other project I'd done. Um, and just the scope of it was so awesome that I wanted to take that on. So, yeah, thinking back when I was watching the film, the one word that I can sum it up in is fun because it, it looked like a lot of fun to make. And usually that translates on screen because if a cast and crew is having fun making a film, the audience is going to have fun watching it too. And I, I love what you said about at the core of it. It is a love story because that's ultimately what film is. You know, we can think of cool visual effects and things like that, but film at the core is story. And this told a really great love story. All the other fun stuff in between was great too, but you know, it, to me, it, it hits so many beats that I look for in a film. I look for story. I look for, you know, do I like the characters? Am I invested in the characters? And 
you know, you, you wanted to see this relationship ultimately succeed. And I, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't watched it, but if you're into great stories and if you're, if you're a gamer, you know, I, I think you'd have fun watching this as well. Yeah. That was the other part of it too. I, I mean, I don't, I grew up in like this nerd culture, you know, I loved video games and sci-fi movies and, and all of that stuff, but I've haven't seen a ton of media that sort of reflects that, you know, you see them at some of these, um, you know, Comic-Con festivals or like geek fest type things, but like in the wider world, there aren't a ton of movies about LARPers or gamers or, um, you know, the weird nerds of the world. <laughs> and so that was the other thing that, that really drew me to it was like wanting to be able to tell the story from a place of love for the characters and for the culture. Um, because like, these are all the people that I grew up with. These are my friends just now they're 30 and married. <laughs> well, and you think about it and that that side and there's so many different aspects to what we could call nerd culture because you can really be a nerd about just about anything whether it's gaming movies you know i know math nerds i know science nerds you know whatever to me nerd isn't specific to gaming or something that's pop culture related to me nerd is like i won't say obsessed but i would say the diehard fandom would be what I would classify as, as nerds. And you, you think of, like you mentioned the, the LARPing and you know, the, the cosplay scene is huge around conventions. You know, any convention I've been to, I see so many people wearing different outfits and it's really impressive the amount of detail and the amount of time that people put into these costumes. And I, I think it was great that, you know, as you mentioned, it was, it was represented in this film while still telling a great story. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, talk to me about what were some of the fun highlights of making this film? Because as I mentioned, just watching it, I thought, I thought to myself, this crew had to have had a blast making this movie. So what were some of the fun highlights uh, from the making of this film? Well, one of them was definitely getting to be on set with all my friends, which was, you know, sort of coming back to that small community thing, like the entire cast and crew were people that I had worked on other projects with, you know, and so we've been making movies together for years. And so it's really fun when you get that, like the perfect crew, <laughs> you get to basically just hire all your friends and like, you know, then it's like a the whole shoot is like a party. <laughs> So that was fun. Um, but in terms of like actual elements that you can see in the film, um, the costuming was really fun, uh, particularly Stella's uh, costume. That was um, sort of the centerpiece of the film uh, in terms of the costumes for us. And that took a really quite a while. Um, that was custom made for our actress and um it was actually made by a friend of mine uh, from high school who had been a huge cosplayer. Um, and so, you know, when I signed on to this project, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I'm doing this weird thing. <laughs> Do you want to come help out? Because um, she actually still does. She does a lot of his historical costuming as a hobby now. But um, so that was super fun to work with her on the development of the costume and 
the colors and, you know, how much we wanted it to represent um, this particular character, but also be reflective of, you know, like video game characters or fantasy characters. Um, And then working on the production design also was really fun too, um, because we just got to have a ton of fun with, um, particularly once they're in the game world, which is sort of what we called it once Dave goes into um, the game that he's been kidnapped into. (laughs) Um, That whole thing was just, you know, basically getting a bunch of rented props and whatever we could get that was fun and um, fantasy-esque and putting it all together into um, something cohesive. And so, yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, the action sequences also, it was a lot of fun to, to choreograph those. Thankfully, we were able to have some rehearsal time in the actual space that we were filming, um, which helped a lot. And uh, we had a great fight choreographer um, who worked with us to figure out, you know, the best way to stage everything and also the best way to shoot everything um, to make it look dynamic. And so that was really fun. No, fantastic. Now, as I said, watching the film, it, it looked like a blast to make. So that's that's great to hear. But uh, as we start to wrap up here, uh, do you have any other projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to talk about? Oh, man, <laughs> I have so many projects like all the time. Um, I am in the process of um, writing a feature right now that hopefully, you know, sometime in the next 10 years, I'll get to direct. But um you know, COVID's been really hard on our local film scene. There's not a ton of um, narrative shoots particularly happening right now. There's not a lot of, there's commercial stuff and, um, you know, promos for businesses and things like that. But there's not a lot of narrative indie, particularly indie stuff um, happening right now with all the restrictions. So um, that's kind of a bummer. But um, I did just work on a pretty cool um aerial show so like um oh i don't know how to describe it you know like uh trapeze artists and uh circus performers and and that kind of a thing um so we did that we helped them with their halloween show um which is normally a live show but we did it sort of a combination of short short film segments and then also filming the live performers um and then we're kind of gearing up to do another one of those at the end of this year hopefully um, depending on grant money and stuff like that. So um, that's probably the most immediately, the most immediate thing that's coming up. Right. No, it's, I, I feel your, I feel your struggle with, you know, there's so many projects that you want to do and that you have in your mind and it's like, which one do I want to do next? Yeah. <laughs> there's so many things that are just like, you know, floating around all the time, like, and not even all of its film, honestly, like some, I have an idea for like a narrative podcast and like a play and all these things, but you know, it's, it's hard to focus sometimes. You don't find too many narrative podcasts, at least, you know, in my experience, like the ones I listen to are mostly almost talk show based, kind of similar to this one, but I'd love to see more narrative podcasts, you know, kind of going back to that old, like talk radio type yeah, of like the like radio, radio shows place. from like the forties and fifties, like that'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. BBC actually does. Um, I wouldn't say a lot, but more than I think American <laughs> radio does. So they've got some interesting um, stuff that you can find out there if you're looking for that. I'll have to check that out. 
what's one piece of advice that you could give to an aspiring filmmaker? Be humble. <laughs> um, and I think be aware that you're going to constantly be learning. Um, and I think sometimes that is hard to do when you're trying to balance being confident, which you also need to do as a filmmaker. But um, I say this mainly having worked as an AD and a producer, you know, I see a lot of filmmakers that, that come into it with this attitude of, I know how to do everything and everyone has to do everything my way. Um, and it's, I just don't think that's the best way to approach the world or to approach art. You know, everything is a collaboration. Um, there's always someone that can teach you something. And so I think staying humble and, um, and stay learning too. you know, take classes and, like I said earlier, work on other people's projects and, you know, get out of your comfort zone, um, I think is, is really the most important thing. I love that. That's fantastic advice. Uh, last question before we get out of here, do you have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the viewers and listeners can follow you? Uh, yeah. So my website, uh, it's just my name. Um, Eileen Sheedy, A-I-L-E-E-N, Sheedy, S-H-E-E-D-Y.com. Um, I've got all my portfolio stuff is up there. Um, and then my Instagram, again, just my name. <laughs> it's all my name, um, Eileen.Sheedy. Um, and uh, I do have a Twitter. I don't really tweet very much, though. So, it's, uh, But that one is a little different. That's um, Alphiriel, A-L-P-H-I-R-I-E-L. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. And again, congrats on The Legend of Stella being accepted into the Pensacon Short Film Festival. Thanks. Yeah, this was great. Thanks again to Eileen for coming on the show to talk about The Legend of Stella. As I mentioned before, a very fun, very entertaining film with a great story at the heart of it. And congrats again on the film being accepted into the Pensacon Short Film Festival. Be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she'll be up to next. For next week's show, I have not one, but two guests, Nestor and Shannon Kenny Carbonell. You may know Nestor from his work in the Dark Knight trilogy, as well as Lost and Bates Motel. And Shannon Kennedy, his wife, actually recently wrote a book called All Is Not Lost, which is a very powerful book uh, about her time uh, leaving the acting industry to take care of their children and also dealing with uh, Nestor living in Hawaii while working on Lost and how she dealt with that. It's a very powerful and honestly very wonderful conversation that I had with the two of them. And the two of them will also be appearing uh, at Pensacon in just a couple of weeks. So be sure to come back next week for that very fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast for free. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave a review. Uh, the more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>